Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. When Paul is saying, I count everything as lost, friend, there is nothing that Paul has or had or could have that he has not lost. At the end of his life, in 2 Timothy, he asks for his remaining earthly possessions, which consisted of a few scraps of parchment and a cloak. Right? That is what Paul had at the end of his life. When he says, I count everything as lost, he means everything. Tarsus had a very impressive resume. He came from an upstanding Jewish family, had the best education, and as a Pharisee enjoyed the respect of his peers. However, when Saul met Jesus on the Damascus Road, he gladly gave up all of his worldly prestige for the joy of knowing Jesus as Lord. In today's message, Pastor Ricky reminds us that having a personal relationship with Christ is more fulfilling and brings with it more joy than any paltry thing this world has to offer. Let's join Pastor Ricky now for part one of his message, Gospel Math, from the book of Philippians, chapter three. Well, if you head out from El Paso and drive on I-10 East, you will pass through these huge swaths of undeveloped land in West Texas. Um, One of the funny things that I see sometimes are these signs in the middle of nowhere, right, that just are like, say, 200 acres available for sale. And you think, who is going to, who's buying this land? Like, This land is in the middle of nowhere. Well, there was once a man a number of years ago who was out that way, and he stopped for a break after driving all day. And it was a breezy spring day, not too hot, not too cold. So seeing a bit of a trail around a a, a hill, he decided to grab a bottle of water and walk around for a few minutes. He continued along until he dropped the bottle. It rolled down the hill. The man, frustrated, went after it. When he picked it up, it had something strange on it. At first he was angry, then intrigued because he thought he recognized it. He tramped down to the area where the bottle was. He found more of this and he took a sample of it. Then he covered the whole area up with tree branches and threw dirt on top of it, ran back to the side of the road and saw what he was looking for, a small sign that said, for sale, 500 acres. He wrote down the number to call. He jumped in his car, drove back to El Paso, got a speeding ticket along the way. He didn't care. He called the number as soon as he was home, agreed on a price for the land. Then his wife came in and found him on the phone with a realtor, making arrangements to sell their house. From that phone call, he went and opened the safe. He took out the family jewelry. He called his investment banker and cashed in their retirement, cashed in the kids' college funds, cashed in everything. His wife, at this point, thought that he was insane called his friends over to talk him out of it. He would not be dissuaded. So a month later, he brought the sum total of his wealth to a title company and traded it for the land. Because the man had the results of a lab test confirming what no one else knew or no one else could guess, that the land had oil in it. Tons of oil. And he was going to be rich. This is a story I borrowed from Jesus who put this story a little more succinctly like this. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The point of the parable is that some things are so valuable, they are worth trading everything for. Today in our passage, Paul is going to lay out before us what is worth trading everything for. And in so doing, he's going to lay out a new type of gospel math, not just kind of a rearranged religious way of getting after the same things everybody else is going after, but a completely new goal, a completely new way of living. The main idea today is simple, that loss is gain when gain when we gain Christ. Lost is gain when we gain Christ. Section one, the new gospel math. This section is all about accounting and math, so I hope you're into that. If you've got a scientific calculator, this is the message for you. And if you use it recreationally, doubly for you. Paul uses the language of commerce again and again in this passage. He talks about gains or profits. He talks about losses and liabilities. This is Paul firing up his Excel spreadsheet, sharpening up his number two pencil and pocket protector, and laying out in front of us new gospel math. But this math is unlike anything else we've seen before. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So he's referring back, and again, he's referring back to the message we heard last week, the section we saw last week. He talked last week about his heritage, his standing, his social class. All of the things he inherited were far above the average Jewish person. He was, he was like on his way to becoming a probably famous Jewish rabbi, respected by his people, beloved by all, and he loses all of that to follow Jesus. And he says, it's okay, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Last week, we talked about his knowledge that was far greater than anybody else, his religious activity, his zeal, his moral superiority, all of those things he said, I counted them as lost for the sake of Christ. And the problem is that we would put all of those things in the gain category. In fact, for a lot of us, those are the things that we're trying to get to, right? It's like if I could, if religious stuff will help me get there, then cool, I'm, I'm in, what do I need to do? And Paul is like, no, 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 no. All of that stuff goes in the loss category. At verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss. See, verse 7 is past tense, which is I counted in the past. I counted all these things as loss, referring to what he's done in the past. But verse 8 is in the present. I right now count this as loss. So verse 7 specifically refers to all of his religious and Jewish attributes and accomplishments, but verse 8, he, he expands it to just be everything. In other words, not just that stuff that I talked about a minute ago, but indeed, I count everything as a loss. And this wasn't a one-time thing for Paul. This was a continuous living in this pattern. Paul is not using hyperbole, Right? Sometimes it's easy to read verse 8 as some sort of hyperbole, like, oh yeah, I just count everything as loss. Like, these are the best tacos in the world. Or I couldn't be happier. Right? We say that kind of stuff all the time. We think, oh, Paul's probably using those kind of American expressions. No, he literally means what he says. 
consider what he has lost. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul gives us a list of all the things that he has endured and lost. He says, compared to others, he endured far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And at night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. When Paul is saying, I count everything as lost, friend, there is nothing that Paul has or had or could have that he has not lost. At the end of his life, in 2 Timothy, he asks for his remaining earthly possessions, which consisted of a few scraps of parchment and a cloak. Right? That is what Paul had at the end of his life. When he says, I count everything as lost, he means everything. Often it's too easy to kind of read these verses in Philippians and think, oh, that sounds so good. Because maybe you read them the way I read them. I get up in the morning, I'm flipping through the book of Philippians, I've got my coffee. If it's in the summer, it's in the cool of the day where the day's perfect. You know, and you're looking out, and the sun's coming up, and you think, oh, this is a wonderful moment. And you read, I count everything as loss for the sake of Christ. And you think, ah, oh, what a wonderful insight for the day, right? Look great on a coffee cup or a shirt or whatever. And, and yet what Paul is saying is so weighty. It should shake us a little bit. Ask yourself, what would be the things you could never imagine giving up in this life? What are the things that if God took everything away, what are the things you'd, you'd be like fighting him on? A job with a decent salary, your freedom, your health, your dream, your ambition, your one special relationship. See, for Paul, everything means everything. And you should be thinking, okay, but why? Why in the world would Paul do this? But he tells us, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. See, Paul is not just some kind of ascetic, some kind of, there's a whole school of religious philosophy that's like, you know what, the way I'm going to get through life is trying not to like anything or want anything or need anything so that when it's all taken away, it just doesn't hurt me. Basically, you pre-lose everything and you torture yourself and it's miserable. That is not what Paul, Paul's not after some kind of weird stoic asceticism. He is saying, listen, I'm trading it. I count this stuff as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That word worth is a word that, that gets at the idea of appraising something. So if you've ever seen on the Discovery Channel or one of those shows where somebody has um, something they think is valuable and they bring it into the pawn shop and the pawn shop guy is kind of looking at it and they're like, oh, I don't know. And they put the thing in their eye, you know, and they're looking at it and and, and you're waiting to see, like, what is it? Is it worth $1,000? Is it worth $100? Is it worth $10,000? Right? You're kind of in suspense. 
Paul is doing the same thing. He's saying, look, this, this thing, knowing Christ Jesus, this thing is worth more than all of those things, than every other thing, than all of them put together. This isn't just Paul. He's not just hyped up. This is throughout the Bible. This is in the Old Testament. Psalm 27, 4 says, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. The psalmist wants God. He says, listen, if I could fill in the blank, one thing I would ask of the Lord, one thing I would seek, this is the thing. And I think for many of us, that's probably not the way we would fill in the blank. And yet this is the way Paul is filling in the blank. It's important to realize this is not intellectual for Paul. This is deeply, deeply personal. He, he refers to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is the only time in Paul's letters that Paul refers to Jesus as my Lord. He usually refers to Jesus as the Lord. The Lord. But here, it's a personal possessive, my Lord. Jesus is not an idea for Paul. He is not a system of religion. He's not a religious philosophy. He is a person. It comes down to a personal relationship. And Paul clarifies this further. He says, for his sake, for Jesus' sake, I've suffered the loss of, he says it again, all things. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. See, Paul is implying that these two things are sort of mutually in exclusive. Paul has to give up these things in order to gain this other thing. Paul has to give up these things in order to gain Jesus. Um, I'm terrible at Excel. And so one time, I was trying to figure out how to like get an equation to work. And on this one page, I had something written and I wanted to add another part of the formula to it, but whenever I would like bring it over and copy it to this page, the thing I had on the page before would disappear. And I was like, what in the world? What witchcraft is this? And so, so I'd be like, okay, I'm going to copy it, go to the other sheet, boop, and then the other thing would go away. Look, what happened to the other thing? And I would take it away and it would come back. I'm like, what is happening? Maybe somebody can explain that to me afterwards, but this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, look. If in your gains column, you want to have all this other stuff other than Jesus, when you add it, Jesus goes away. Because the only way to truly, fully have Jesus is when he is your greatest treasure. And, and this is how extreme Paul is here. He doesn't just say, I've suffered the loss of all things. He says, I count them as rubbish. I think about them. I, they are as valuable to me as rubbish. And the word rubbish if you've got the ESV, it's translated rubbish. If you've got the old King James, it's dung. Uh, rubbish is like the kindest, kindest, gentlest, most precious moments way of translating this word. It has two shades of meaning. It means, it can mean excrement and dung and human and animal waste, or it can mean the disgusting trash full of decomposing food covered in worms and bacteria. It was the word for the reeking piles of filth that you would walk by in the ancient world, right? So you don't just, like, all the nice stuff in our society, it's like, ooh, this is gross. Like, we just put it away somewhere. It's like it goes somewhere. Like, we don't think about it. Somebody takes care of that. Not the case in the ancient world. All of the stuff, all the bodies, 
all the extra, all that stuff would be in places in the city. And so Paul is saying that Jesus is so utterly valuable to him that anything else that he could have had, anything else is filth. It is reeking filth to him. It's the choice between a five-course feast and a maggot-infected carcass. He's, he's also making the point that, listen, he's probably partially referring to his righteous deeds as well. So not just his accomplishments, not just what the world can offer, but the good things that we bring in to God and try to say, hey, look at this, now love me, now save me. He says, no, no, no. Not only is that gross, it's, dis- it's disgusting in the sight of God. It's offensive to the Lord. You hear what Paul is saying? We need to wrestle with this today. Do we believe that Jesus is better than anything else that we could possibly have? Better than finally getting married? Better than finally buying that house? Better than taking that trip? Better than getting that promotion? Better than finally being respected? Better than whatever? You fill in the blank. We've got to feel the weight of this passage. Before we go on, there's going to be some really good news, but, but this is not Paul being some sort of weirdo extremist Christian, okay? Sometimes we think like, oh man, you know, we could look at people like missionaries, like, whoa, those people, man, they give up everything and they move and they go who knows where. Wow, just those people, amazing. I'm just regular Christian. I just do that stuff. I maybe come to church. That's like my level. I'm not really into the higher level, you know? It's like when you go to the gym, like I'm always with the people that are sweating a lot and making a lot of weird breathing sounds, like like that. And then you've got the other people that are like, you know, and you're like, man, your breathing even sounds like the way you're supposed to do that thing. And you think, okay, Paul is one of those people. He's one of the super athlete Christians. Friends, you've got to realize something. Paul is trying to prepare this church for persecution. Like, we know that in the decades after Paul's death, there were persecutions, especially in Roman colony areas and the city of Rome itself. It is completely possible that the people that he is writing to will lose their houses, will lose their jobs, will lose their reputations, can lose their lives, All of that could well happen to the people that Paul is writing to. And so he, in a Roman prison, in change, is trying to prepare them by holding out the question, do you believe that he is worth more than anything? Because you will have to decide soon. And he's saying, to me, he is. He is worth it. But that might leave you with, okay, well then, Why is he worth it? How is he worth it? And that's section number two, why gospel math works. Paul is saying, this is where I'm trying to get. This is the end of the equation. I want to do all this stuff to get Jesus, to equal Jesus. But but now we got to go, okay, well, show us how the formula works. Show us how to process this. When I was in high school, um, one of the long-suffering brothers in the church, Lenny, who was a math teacher for years, he was trying to help me and tutor me in geometry. And I'm just terrible at all math. And so Lenny would show me how to do things, and it would obviously he'd get the correct result because I could plug it back in and go, oh, yeah, that's what it equals. But I'd go, whoa, 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 whoa wait, 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 how did you do that? 
like in my mind, Lenny is like the equivalent, was the equivalent, and probably is the equivalent of like some kind of mystical wizard where he like waves around pi and like B squared, and it's like, ooh, there it is. I'm like, well, what was that? What'd you do with your hand there, right? The, this is what Paul is doing. He's saying, listen, okay, I believe this. I believe Jesus is the thing of surpassing worth, worth giving everything to. Let me show you why. So, verse 9, and be found in him. I can't, everything is lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. I want to gain Christ and be found in him. See, this, this is the first category, the first reason that Jesus is so valuable. Jesus gives us our standing before God. Paul is sort of moving us into the throne room of heaven and evaluating our standing before God. The Bible says that all of us were created by God. All of us are going to give an account to God. So on that day, when we give an account, Paul wants to be found in him. This is a concept again and again in Pauline theology it talks about, um, where it's, it's the category of being in Christ. If you do a word search on the phrase in Christ, it comes again and again and again throughout all of Paul's writing. What it means is that when we come to believe in Jesus, in a sense, we are relocated. Not to be in ourselves, but in Christ. Picture it in the throne room, that rather than standing before the Lord, kind of ourselves facing God, we move over and are relocated to stand with Jesus. Paul wants that, being found in him and not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. As we covered last week, we can't stand completely righteous before God. Isaiah tells us that our righteousness, even our best days and our best deeds, they are like filthy rags before God. You know, when I was a teenager, there was one time where, I don't know why, but I had to be going to some event and I had, my mom told me, like, you got to get a white shirt. Go get one of your white shirts to wear it with a tie to this thing. I'm like, okay, whatever. And so I, I grabbed the shirt, put it on, get in the car. And I think it was in the car that I looked at my dad's shirt and realized, oh, that's white. And I looked at my shirt and I realized, generously, it could be called like cream or a weird yellow. But in the closet, against all my dark clothes, because all my clothes were messed, like against all my dark clothes, it looked, they looked pretty white. And then you bring it out next to an actual white shirt and you go, oh, that's not going to work. So this is what happens with each of us. We compare ourselves to the other people around us, not to the Lord's standard of righteousness or holiness, but the people around us. And we go, oh man, look at the shirt that Hitler is wearing. That thing is definitely not even close to white. Ugh, this is way closer. And we walk in and then in the throne room realize, nope, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. It's all just shades. None of us are righteous. Hope in God, oh my soul. He is strong and he's strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Whether you've read the entire Bible or encountered it for the first time today on Better News Radio, you can learn about true joy from the happiest book in the Bible. This book, the book of Philippians, shares just how this joy can be accessed and how it's only possible through the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Would you like to know more about who Jesus is and how you can find the joy that he offers? Then please give us a call. You can reach us at 915-562-7100. 
That number again is 915-562-7100. We'd also like to point you to a free online book answering questions that you might have. It's called Better News, and it's written by Pastor Ricky. Find it online at betternewsradio.com. Download and read it when you have some time, and feel free to share it. We'd like to encourage you also to join a local church. This will provide you a stable home base for your spiritual growth and a new family to support and encourage you. If you happen to be in the El Paso area, please come visit us at Cross of Grace Church. We meet each Sunday, and we'd love to have you be a part of our time of worship and Bible study. You can find directions and service times online at betternewsradio.com. Just click on church. We're so excited to meet you. Thanks for tuning in today to Better News Radio. We pray you continue to be blessed by what you hear and that you'll meet Jesus personally today. Join us next time for more from the happiest book in the Bible, Philippians, right here on Better News Radio.